Welcome to this fourth episode in this sub-mini-series on the Sacrament of Penance. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Lady, Queen of Angels, teach us to love your Son more perfectly and place us in his most sacred and precious heart always. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In this episode, we will cover matter and form, two, again, necessary parts or components of every sacrament, even though we'll see that in the sacrament of confession, it's a little bit different than the matter that we find in, say, baptism or other sacraments as uh, alike. Theologians are not fully agreed as to what constitutes the matter of the sacrament. So when I speak of form or matter being in some ways convoluted depending on the sacrament, and there's only a few that it is, realize that in no way am I questioning our ability to have a valid sacrament. In no way am I saying that the church can just kind of flippantly or arbitrarily choose as to what they want to make the form or the matter in that century or whatever. What I mean to say is that we have of course, all of the information that we need to, to have a valid sacrament. It's just finding exactly what we would want to use as part of the definition for the matter. That is what is disputed in, in some way or another. So some people might say, well, it's confession and contrition, but not penance. Or some people might say it's penance and contrition. And other people might simply say it's not. It's what the priest brings to the sacrament, etc. And although there might be discrepancies there, what we know is that there must be confession, contrition, penance, and that the priest must say the words of absolution, and that there are various components. And therefore, although we may not, and by we I mean all of the theologians, may not all fully land on one particular thing uh, as the matter, of the sacrament, we certainly understand what is necessary for the validity of the sacrament. It's just how we want to define that matter. And why it is a little bit different in this sacrament is because now we might be talking about things that the penitent, the person that is coming to the sacrament, the recipient of the sacrament, is bringing. Whereas if you look at baptism and other things, it's what the priest is bringing to the sacrament. It's the priest's actions or his words or the water that he's going to pour over the person. Whereas in this sacrament, we're kind of speaking about the things that the penitent, the person that comes to the sacrament, is offering. And so that's a little bit odd in terms of looking at the other sacraments. That generally it's what the priest brings that is the matter and the form as well as his intention that is necessary. So, looking at the matter... Again, not all theologians are fully agreed. However, many agree with St. Thomas Aquinas and the Council of Trent that it is the three required acts of the penitent, that is confession, contrition, and satisfaction. These are absolutely required from the penitent. That is, without a doubt, the only thing that there might be some kind of doubt is to whether we should be calling these three requirements from the penitent the actual matter. And because it is a kind of different matter, both because it's not a material thing, which of course is not essential and not in every sacrament is there a material object that is the matter, but also because it is something that is supplied by the penitent, then we call this quasi-matter. Quasi is a prefix meaning, well, almost in essence. And so it's almost matter in that these are three required components of the sacrament. They are necessary. It's just that some want to argue that it's not necessarily the matter of the sacrament. 
Others want to say it is the matter of the sacrament, but because it's kind of categorized in its own general uh, kind of genus or species, then as a result, we would call it quasi-matter. Regardless, I think what's important for you to understand are the importance of both or all three, confession, contrition, and penance, specifically in relation to the validity of the sacrament. They are called quasi-matter from some theologians, again, because the priest is the minister of the sacrament and the penitent is not the one that ministers the sacrament, but yet it's the penitent that must be bringing the confession, the contrition, and penance, which makes this kind of a sacrament in its own right, a sacrament in its own category, if you will. Remember that a sacrament is an external sign that not only indicates grace, but actually produces it. It's an efficacious sign. So when we remember that it's an efficacious sign, then it does seem perhaps a little bit odd that that efficacious sign would be something that's produced by the penitent rather than something that is produced by the priest himself. However, in certain ways, you can make some kind of connection to the sacrament of matrimony. And the reason why is because the deacon or the priest or the bishop that's there at matrimony is not the one who is administering the sacrament. Rather, it is the, 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 the man and the woman who are administering those sacraments. And so there's some kind of similarity in, in that uh, the minister of the sacrament is a little bit odd when it comes to matrimony. Whereas in the sacrament of confession, the matter is a little bit odd because it's the minister of the sacrament who is not providing, but rather the penitent who is providing the matter or the quasi-matter of the sacrament. I hope this is not simply confusing everybody, because that is certainly not my goal. Paul in Prowse quote, Now confession is more than a mere recital of one's sins. It is a contrite and humble declaration of guilt, coupled with a firm purpose to sin no more. Hence, contrition and the determination to make amends must, as it were, vivify the act of confession as the soul vivifies the body. Contrition, confession, and the purpose of amendment are, therefore, more than mere dispositions for the worthy uh, reception of penance. They are integral parts of the sacrament, and consequently, they are its matter. In other words, because these are not simply mere dispositions, they're not simply beneficial to have for the sake of receiving more graces, but rather they are absolutely essential for the sake of the sacrament to be valid, then Paul and Prowse, along with Aquinas and many others, are arguing that this is indeed the matter. Though it not be provided by the minister himself, it is indeed the matter, and perhaps more accurately, the quasi-matter. Now, simply the form of the matter, excuse me, the form of the sacrament is, I absolve you. Very short, very concise, and thank God that it is. Uh, because, unfortunately, so we have a much larger amount of words that are said by the priest for the sake of absolution. And none of those should, without a very serious reason, be changed in their order or be subtracted or, 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 or altered in any way. What the church gives to us, that should be done in the exact way that it is. However, I absolve you is the only necessary part or phrase of that entire paragraph or prayer that the priest says uh, for absolution. 
at least this is by and large considered uh, by the majority of theologians the essential phrase necessary for the form. Again, you have some discrepancy there with the form. Some would say, no, you have to have a Trinitarian matter. So I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but by and large, the most agree that is I absolve you. Be paying attention to this. This is important. You don't need to memorize the entire paragraph, but you do want to make sure when you go to confession that you hear from the priest, I absolve you. Unfortunately, many priests are beginning to kind of change these words. Most of them at least say I absolve you, in, the, in, in which case you're fine. But at times, uh, some will even change that and they'll say God forgives you. Or they'll say, I acknowledge that God is forgiving you, or something of this sort, in that they don't want to put themselves in the person of Christ the head. But theologically, that's incredibly wrong. That is entirely errant and false, because what they are there as the priest, the judge, and the doctor is the one standing in the person of Christ the head in that moment and acting as such. And therefore, they should say, I absolve you, just like in the Mass. When the priest is saying the words of institution, in other words, those words of consecration over the bread and the wine, he says, this is my body. He doesn't say this is the body of Jesus or this is the body of God or something of this sort, but rather this is my body because he's speaking as Christ himself, the head there. Christ is in and using as an instrument that priest for the sake of the transubstantiation of the bread and wine into the body and blood, as well as the forgiveness of the sins of the penitent who comes to confess with a contrite heart and uh, is accepting of penance, which we will return back to this most certainly. I just want to get quasi-matter and form in, in, in generic terms and understand those at least in some way or another. Then as we move uh, back to uh, the sacrament excuse me, back to this quasi-matter and understand these three very much more clearly and in more in-depth. So, when it comes to confession, what we mean is that the penitent is bringing actual sins to confession. They don't have to be mortal. As I said, you don't have to confess your venial sins, but venial sins are certainly sufficient matter for the sake of confession to be possible. So we should not only be coming to confession just when we have mortal sins, we should be coming very regularly to the sacrament of confession. We should come at the very, very least once a month, at the least once a month, even more so if we can. Once every two weeks, I think, is a beautiful practice that is very helpful in the spiritual life in overcoming sins and receiving the Holy Eucharist more fully uh, with a greater and, and, and more appreciative and reverent heart, as well as um, learning to, to, to overcome uh, the, the, the difficulties and the traps and the attachments that we have in this life. So when we speak about the confession of, of sins, we mean that we actually have sins that we are confessing. So when somebody comes into the sacrament and they say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It has been you know six months since my last confession. And then they begin naming the sins of their spouse or their sons or children or something of this sort. That does nothing for me. I can, I can do nothing with that. I'm not mad at the person. I'm just simply incapable of forgiving sins that aren't theirs, that are, they are confessing. Uh, so then I try perhaps, you know, okay, well, what are sins that you've committed? This is confession for you, not, not for them. And so at times, perhaps they say, 
Nothing. I say, okay, well, I doubt that highly because I don't believe that I have a saint before me. So if that's the case, then, you know, maybe um, pride. That's the root of all sin. Everybody has pride to some degree or another. If we sin, then we have pride in essence. It's at the root. What about anger, gossip, selfishness, lying, stealing, cheating, lustful thoughts, and all kinds of different sins that I might name? No, 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 etc. Okay, I don't believe you, but I have nothing to forgive you from. You have no sins according to you, but you've come to the sacrament that is for the sake of forgiving the sins. There's nothing I can do. And so confession, confession of sins is uh, essential, obviously. So having sins to confess. Though I have read theologically, it is sufficient if you bring sins from the past. So maybe you've been to confession within the last few days. You have another opportunity to go. You want to go because you're about to go to Mass. It's going to be a beautiful thing, etc. And so you can really not land on any sin that you've committed in the past few days. And you've really tried to increase and inform your conscience to better understand what is right and what is wrong, what is sinful and what is not. You've really worked in growing in, in your sanctity to the extent that you have reached a level where you don't commit sins that often, or at least you don't know of the sins that you commit that often. And so you're scouring your brain that it is sufficient to use sins that you have really struggled with of the past to bring those back up. Again, God is able to forgive sins multiple times. We uh, also, in, in a like fashion, in a sense, in a very different way, but in some like fashion, we also forgive sins several times, at times. For instance, let's say that I have a, a real wound because of some kind of sin of my past. So maybe somebody really hurt me because uh, they stabbed me in the back. They threw me under the bus. I thought this was my best friend, and he ruined my life, sent me to prison somehow or something because of a lie he told. Okay. Obviously, that's going to mess me up psychologically, emotionally, and whatnot. But let's say I get to the point by the grace of God to where I'm able to forgive this person. It may happen one month later. It may happen a hundred years later. That might be an exaggeration. It may happen 10 years later where something triggers that. And I remember, and that pain starts sitting with me again. And I reckon it's like that wound has just been reopened before it was entirely healed. And all of a sudden, I find myself having to forgive the same person again. Now, this is different in that our sins of the past, they don't re-offend God or something of this sort. It's not like we wound him with our sins to the extent that he's unhealthy or unhealed from the wounds that we have committed. God is perfect. There is no changing him. There's no wounding him in that way. We can say that he's very offended by our sins. But that's more or less because he loves us so much that he wants the very best for us. And that to see his own creation do something that is contrary to him is a grave offense against him, but not an offense like we think in terms of our, our emotional woundedness or something of this sort. I say all of that to say this, that God is able to forgive us multiple times for our sins. That's why we can, as I will mention again, and in more detail when we get to how to make a good confession, why even confessing uh, your mortal sins or your bigger sins that you've conf confessed already in the past is not a bad idea, but rather it can be very helpful to ensure that you have more graces to be stronger from the temptations that might lead you into those same sins once again. Confession 
pretty much has to be auricular. It can be written in grave circumstances with somebody perhaps that cannot speak or something of this sort, then they can write them down, but there needs to be a grave reason why confession would not be something that is verbal uh, so that the priest is able to hear, which is where we get the word auricular from. Contrition. I will definitely go more into detail of this because of its necessity as a component of the sacrament in later episodes. However, just for now, let us understand contrition includes a kind of detestation for sin, a true sorrow for your sin, and a desire to do better. Now, that can come from various motives, as we will explore in the later episodes, but for now, understand that contrition has to do with being contrite, being sorrowful for your sins, but to an extent that you're hating the sin more and more because it separates you from God, as well that you truly want your life to be amended. And then thirdly, we have penance. Again, I am not in... in, in, in insinuating or teaching in any way that to receive a penance from the priest is necessary. That is not my point. In fact, even if a priest forgets or does not give a penance intentionally to a penitent, that does not invalidate the sacrament. It is a shame because, as, as I said, it's both a punishment that we receive much from and even more so than just doing those acts without them being ascribed and imposed upon us, binded to by the, the priest. But at the same time, it's also a medicine. And therefore, being a medicine is something that is truly health-giving to us. But the penance is not essential. What is essential, though, is that the person is willing to do the penance, is willing to accept a penance. In other words, puts themselves there with a contrite heart, confessing their sins, in essence, accusing themselves and awaiting the just punishment that comes from the priest, as well as very merciful punishment. Trust me, if it was a just punishment, it would be like the old days. All right, you're going to stand for five years outside of the church in ashes and, and sackcloth every Sunday and asking and begging publicly for the prayers of those that are entering into the church because of the sins that you've committed, etc. So our sins are far more serious in terms of their repercussions, their consequences, as well as the temporal punishment that they incur than we understand. Penance is also a very powerful thing in order to help us to pay that penalty, to repair for those sins, as well as to do better. And so this, I, I believe that these two are very much in, intertwined in some way. Because if you have a true contrition, as I said, you're sorrowful for your sins, you detest sins, and I don't mean that emotionally. You may still have a drawing towards a type of sin because you've, you've built up a real attachment to it, a real... Uh, addiction perhaps or habit or something of some sort, but you detest it in the, in, the, in the sense of your will in that you want to do better and you hate that this thing is bringing you away from God. So you might have this kind of physical or fleshy attraction towards this thing. That's not the kind of uh, hate that I'm, I'm talking about. That's a possibility to have that while still being very contrite for your sins. But the penance or, sorry, what, it, what also accompanies this contrition, as I said, is this desire to do better. And penance is very much a part of this. As we've mentioned, it's the med medicine for the wounds as well as for the sins as well as for the temporal punishments, etc. And as a result of that, then, this penance is us 
hoping, it's pledging, it's, it's, it's begging God, give me more graces to do better. I don't want to fall in these sins again. I want to be clean and pure as you are. And so the penance is, in a sense, very related to that third part of contrition, as I said, this desire of the amendment to do better. So we have confession, contrition, and penance, all of those making up the quasi-matter. The form, as I said, I absolve you. In the sacrament of confession, we are given so much by the grace of God as a result of his overwhelming mercy. So once again, learn to appreciate the sacrament, but also learn to uh, frequent the sacrament, to go regularly, but bring your children also regularly to the sacrament of penance. One kind of, I think, very useful let's say, analogy or story that can help us to understand the importance, really, that it's not just some kind of symbol, it's not just something that's ineffective and where it's just something therapeutic, etc., but rather something that is truly spiritually useful, beneficial, powerful, and effective, is one priest I, I overheard saying that it's been said that the sacrament of confession is really useful because at the end of our life when we die and we are there before Christ, our judge, as I said, standing for our what's called particular judgment, that is where our judgment for particularly the sins that I have committed, in other words, Christ is judging me alone, not in relation with everybody else, which is the final judgment. At this particular judgment, Satan comes to accuse the great accuser, the great tempter, and he comes to accuse us of all of the sins, specifically the mortal sins that we have committed, sins that are separating us from God. And every one that he mentions of our past that we have cast into the great mercy of God, he says, this person before my tribunal, before my minister, who is both judge and doctor on my behalf, has already accused himself of those sins. In the past, it was always, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It has been two weeks since my last confession. I accuse myself of the following sins. I accuse myself. I accuse myself. I come to the tribunal, to this court, in essence, and I cast myself before the minister, the judge of Christ, in order for me to be able to receive a sentence of justice, to be able to pay and repair those sins here and now so that they don't affect me forever in the life that is to come. I accuse myself of these following sins, and therefore as Satan names all of these sins, trying to accuse us of that which is to cause eternal damnation, Christ says, no, forgiven. He's already accused himself of that one and that one and that one, and you have nothing. You come here with nothing. This soul is mine. This belongs to me. That is what we want entirely. As to whether that actually occurs in that way or not, in essence, that is the reality. That is what is occurring. We are casting ourselves and our sins before God. Briefly, let us just look at the infusion of sanctifying grace, how that is the means by which sins are forgiven, and then in our next episode, we will move on to the effects of the sacrament. Paul and Prouse say, quote, the priestly absolution being an external sign of internal grace, again, that effective or efficacious sign, must effect that which it signifies. In the present economy, in other words, in the, in, the, in the present way in which salvation is structured by God for us, 
There is no other way in which sin can be forgiven than by the infusion of sanctifying grace. Therefore, the absolution must first affect grace, and through grace, the remission of sins. End quote. All of that to say that clearly the sanctifying grace that is given to us as a result of this sacrament is given to us for the sake of restoring God's life and our salvation back to the soul. So how are sins forgiven? It's not that God cleanses the soul and then he gives grace to the soul, and then once that grace is there, then he dwells within the soul. Rather, he pours his sanctifying grace, remember the grace that dwells within, into the soul which eradicates all of the sin. It's the actual reason or cause for that sin being cleansed from the soul, at which point, of course, God dwells where his grace dwells, where the rays of the divine, the beauty of the rays of God, uh, or the, 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 the beautiful rays of the divine beauty of God, dwell into the soul, that is where God himself is dwelling. And therefore, it is by way of sanctifying grace that the sin that we have incurred is forgiven. Just to reinforce this with the Council of Trent, we find there stated that sanctifying grace of itself is able to produce all the formal effects of justification. For example, forgiveness of sins, the sanctification of the sinner, his adoption by God, etc., and consequently requires no supplementary or additional or contributory, contributory causes. In other words, justification is wholly and fully accomplished by the infusion of sanctifying grace. We need this grace. All of the seven sacraments give us this grace, but they give it to us in a different way, and they give it to us uh, different purposes, etc. And so this is an increase of sanctifying grace for the one who is already in the state of grace. But it is an infusion once again, a reinfusion of sanctifying grace that has been forfeited by mortal sin for the one who is in the state of sin. All of that is very important and very precious. Lastly, the minister of this sacrament is the one who is ordained priest, also bishops, of course, that include priests, because it is by way of priesthood alone that confession or the sac or absolution can be given in the sacrament of confession. And so the priest needs to say these words, I absolve you at the very, very least, as well as having the attention of forgiving the sins of this sinner. Thank y'all once again for joining us. I hope y'all come back for the effects of the sacrament. And there are many, and there are very important effects that are from this sacrament. So please come back. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Moses the Black, pray for us. Saint Joseph, pray for us. Saint Anthony, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.